at your destination safely are so much greater. And such is the kingdom of God. Jesus says in Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13, Enter through the narrow gate, because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. How narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. So in order to walk a path, in order to to enter an expressway, you have to have an an entry point, right? An entry lane. There's an on-ramp, we would say. And so during this time that Jesus is speaking here, the the common method of travel was by sandal. (laughs) That you walked where you went. And so Jesus frames his reference around the, the practice of, of, of entering a city. Perhaps he was thinking about entering the temple, maybe parts of the temple. And so just like today, you could control access to the entry based on the width of the entry point. And so you, we see this at events. You know, we're going to events, especially if there's a checkpoint, single file, you know, one behind the other. So there's not an onrush and people aren't sneaking in where they shouldn't be. Teachers know how to do this. Single file lines to get kids from one point to the other. A parking lot will have you know, one lane entrance or exit to control the flow of traffic. But contrast that with an open market or an open parking event. Uh, you, know, you think about something in a big field where people are just pulling every which way, coming in every which way. And you're having to watch out make sure that you, know, you don't run into somebody or they run into you. It's this free flow, this massive traffic. And so you don't need signs in a situation like that directing people. You don't need clear markings when it's just a free-for-all. Park in any direction you want to. Drive whichever way you want to go. So you sort of follow the crowd. Jesus says, enter through the narrow gate because the gate is wide and the way is spacious that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. See, the kingdom of heaven is unbound by human constraints. We cannot contain the kingdom of heaven, God's kingdom. But the kingdom of heaven is also not without boundaries. It's not without perceptible boundaries because the kingdom, which is not a place, but rather it's the domains, the rule of God, the kingdom boundaries are well defined by the king, by God. And so when I want to get on 64 going to Mary and I follow the signs that lead me there. And I know I'm on the highway when I see the highway signs. This is Highway 64. I know that's where I am. And if I follow that, it's leading me in, in the direction that I want to go. When I follow that highway, I will arrive at my intended destination. Any other direction, any other choice I make, any other turn I make is going to lead me away from where I intended to go. And so and I can wind myself around. I can, you know, jump a few creeks. You know, I can braze a few trails, you know, lacking any county maintenance. I, I can, might eventually find my way back to this path to Marion. But that would be hard. It would be long. It'd be bumpy. It'd be unnecessary. And it'd be potentially damaging to my vehicle if I did that. So, whereas the safest route, the direct route, the safest route, the better maintained route, And the one I intended to go is the one that's intended by those who designed that path of travel. This is what you're supposed to travel on. And this is the direction you're supposed to go. Why is that? Because it's best. It is best. And they know what is best. How narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life. And there are a few who find it. And Jesus makes it clear there are two destinations for life. 
And every one of us is going to arrive at one of them. You cannot prevent yourself from arriving at a destination. One of two. Where you arrive depends on the path you travel. And so there's one path, one gate. It's wide, it's spacious, and you can stretch out and you can go your own speed. You can do your own thing. You can live by, by, by doing and, and, and saying whatever you want and, and being however you want and going in whatever ways that, that you want to go. Ways that God has commanded us not to. There are no boundaries on this path. There are no barriers. And a whole lot of people travel this path. There's lots of company. You will meet and see and pass and be passed by a lot of people on that road. It's easy because you don't have to think WWJD. You know, what would Jesus do? You don't have to think about that. You don't have to measure your decisions by any other standard than you. Then whatever you want to do. There's no seatbelt on this flight. You are free to move about the cabin, right? But this path has one destination. It has one destination. And Jesus says this path leads to destruction. And rejecting the way of Jesus in this life leads to eternity without Jesus. And it may seem remarkable, but no Bible spokesman, no other record we have places more stress on hell or the final consequences of God's judgment and condemnation than the very Son of God, than Jesus Himself. And so God's Son was the greatest theologian of hell. But we shouldn't think it's strange that Christ would, would say more about hell than anyone else. That shouldn't be weird to us. Jesus is the one who compared hell to the valley of Gehenna. This valley of Gehenna near Jerusalem, this huge public dump where all the, 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 the waste went and a lot of dead bodies, for that matter, and trash. All this was dumped and it was continually smoldering in fire. And so Gehenna took hold as a name for hell. And so Jesus also compared hell to a prison and to outer darkness. He's the one that likened hell to a fire at least 20 different times. And so a premier text about hell from the mouth of Jesus is in Luke chapter 16. And we, if you've been around long enough, you know this story. There's a wider context of teaching here, which is about the abuse of wealth. But when, when describing the otherworldly setting of this teaching, Christ expands the, the doctrine of hell. And so this passage is about a rich man. A rich man who, who went his own path, played the ultimate fool, and plotting his own course, luxuriated in his wealth, did whatever he wanted to do, ignored true faith in God, ignored service to humanity, until he found himself in hell for his godless selfishness. And so he followed the wide path. He did his own thing. And he arrived at the eternal consequences of his choice. In Luke chapter 16 and verse 19, Jesus says, There was a rich man who dressed in purple and fine linen, who feasted sumptuously every day, but at his gate lay a poor man named Lazarus, whose body was covered with sores, who longed to eat what fell from the rich man's table. In addition, the dogs came and licked his sores. Now the poor man died and was carried by the angels to Abraham's side. The rich man also died and was buried. And in hell, as he was tormented, he looked up and saw Abraham far off with Lazarus at his side. And so he called out, Father Abraham, have mercy on me. And send Lazarus to dip the tip of his finger in water and cool my tongue because I am in anguish 
in this fire. But Abraham said, child, remember that in your lifetime you received your good things and Lazarus likewise bad things. But now he's comforted here and you are in anguish. Pick up on this. Jesus telling the story. Jesus uses the word child. Abraham said, child. Ha! 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 It's what you get for living that way. That's what you get for the choice you made. Hope something bad happens to you. How do you like it now? That wasn't Jesus' attitude. Sometimes it's mine. But it wasn't His. Jesus says, Abraham says, child. Child. This is not good. He says, besides all of this, a great chasm has been fixed between us. So that those who want to cross over from here to you cannot do so. And no one can cross from there to us. And so the rich man said, Then I beg you, Father, send Lazarus to my father's house, for I have five brothers, to warn them so that they don't come into this place of torment. But Abraham said, They have Moses and the prophets. They must respond to them. they got to follow the sign. If they want to get to a different destination, they got to follow a different Sign. Then the rich man said, No, Father Abraham, but if someone from the dead goes to them, they will repent. And he replied to him, If they do not respond to Moses and the prophets, they will not be convinced even if someone rises from the dead. And this passage seems a lot like a parable. It's not told that way, but it seems like one. And so in, in this text, Jesus' primary intent was not to describe the, the details of the unbelievers afterlife. But he does end up giving us a, a, a picture of hell that kind of encapsulates this broad teaching of hell that's taught elsewhere in Scripture. And so one of the foundational principles that Jesus taught in this lesson of the rich men and Lazarus is that hell does not have an exit door. There is no exit door in hell. You can't wish somebody out. You can't pray somebody out. You can't pay somebody out. You can't sneak somebody out. There's no barrier to go through. There's no rope to climb up. There's no window to sneak out of. And Abraham tells his poor soul why, why things are forever the way they must be. He says, look, you, you, you took the broad path. You went the way that you chose to go. You passed all the cars. You used all the lanes. You ignored the road signs. You threw out the map. You, you ended up exactly where you were planning on going. You just didn't realize that you were actually going to get there. The gate only swings one way. And once you enter, there is no return. So what's he talking about? What's he saying here? There's no turning back. There's no turning back. When you died, you have solidified the choice that you made in this life whether or not to follow Christ. When you die, it is too late to change paths. My goodness, Sean, that sounds depressing. <laughs> That's not very encouraging. That's not a loving God, right? Really? If He wasn't a loving God, He wouldn't have told us this in this life. If He wasn't a loving God, He wouldn't have made this clear before we went through the gate. He wouldn't warn us about the consequences of rejecting His kingdom. See, those who are living in Christ, those who enter the narrow gate, we have nothing to fear. 
We have nothing to fear. First John chapter four and verse 13. John writes, by this, we know that we reside in God and he in us. What, John? What? By what? And that he has given us of his spirit. Acts 2.38. Repent and be baptized. Every one of you for the forgiveness of your sins. And what? What do you, you receive? What? The gift of what? God's spirit. And by this, we know that we reside in God and He in us and that He has given us of His Spirit. And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent the Son to be the Savior of the world. If anyone confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, God resides in Him and He in God. And we have come to know and to believe the love that God has in us. God is love. And the one who resides in love resides in God. And God resides in Him. And by this love is perfected with us so that we may have confidence in the day of judgment, because just as Jesus is, so also are we in this world. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears punishment has not been perfected in love. And so this divide between Everlasting heaven and everlasting hell, it's made hard and fast by God's eternal decree. And this word fixed that's used here in, in Luke chapter 16 and verse 26, it's this great fixed chasm, this immense gorge, this, this grand canyon here. It has the same meaning as, as our phrase of, of, of set in concrete, set in stone. It means the same thing. It is as it is. And you cannot span it, you cannot fill it, you cannot fly over it. So enter through the narrow gate that leads to life. But as Jesus again would not have us ignorant of our choices, the way of the kingdom is not easy. The way of the kingdom is glorious. The way of the kingdom is eternal life. The way of the kingdom glorifies God. And the way of the kingdom is not easy. And so, in fact, Jesus uses a word that means to cause to suffer. And so the decision and the commitment to follow Jesus will cause you to suffer to some degree, in some way, at some time, because of the choice and the path that you're on. In this world, you will have trouble, Jesus said, right? But take heart. But take heart. How can I take heart, Jesus? It's, it's hard. I feel like everything's against me. My family's against me. My friends are against me. When I'm trying to follow you, how can I take heart? Jesus says, because I have overcome the world. I have overcome the world. That's John 16, And again, this might sound depressing to some. The kingdom's hard. If you go this way, at some time, in some way, you're going to have a flat tire. You're going to be stuck on the side of the road. Your car can break down. There are going to be times when you're going to run out of gas if you go this way. And there may or may not be anyone around to help you. You're going to have to endure things on this road. This road less travel. That those on the expressway, the expressway of pleasure, that they're not going to have to endure. When you go the narrow path, you're going to deal with things and have to work through things. And have to endure things that those flying around here in the open field aren't going to have to. That's the fact. 
But know this, when you endure, and what you endure, what you suffer today, is going to make arriving at the destination so much sweeter, so much more glorious. And all those cruising along, painting stripes on their own lane, joining the expressway of life, their pleasure is going to end. It's going to end when they draw their last breath. Enter through the narrow gate, because the gate is wide. And the way is spacious that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. How narrow is the gate. And how difficult the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And the words of the rich man reveal how after death, it's already too late to humble yourself before the the, the Gospel of Jesus Christ. It's too late to confess Jesus as Lord. It's too late to beg for divine mercy. And yet again, we hear of how God's grace is extended. It's extended through every human being's full lifetime. Up to the dying breath. And we hear in 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 9 of, of God's vast patience, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. And yet people will perish. People will perish once they've passed through the doorway of death without access to the kingdom. And God's word gives us sufficient warning. Warning us about how to avoid hell. How to stay off this path. A path that's clearly marked by blessings and curses for every choice. And those blessings and curses are revealed. The rich man worries. My family's not going to make the right choice. They won't know. They won't see the sign. Perhaps it's not clearly marked. Perhaps there's some overgrowth. And he's told what? He's The testimony of Moses and the prophet, the testimony of the Scripture is all they need. That is set before the living. God's Word, His revealed will, tells mankind all we need to know about our Redeemer's grace. Do not miss a tremendous irony here either. As Jesus tells us, this rich man, this rich man maintained that maybe something miraculous would convince them. Maybe something they've never seen before would convince them to do the right thing. A miraculous sign. Maybe, 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 what if somebody from the dead came back and told them these things? Then perhaps they would believe. And not long after teaching this very lesson, did Jesus Christ, the very Son of God, go into the grave and come out of the grave and proclaim the pathway to the kingdom of God. And yet a minority of people accepted that. A minority of people. At that moment, just in the immediate precincts of Jerusalem, a minority of people embraced Him as their living Lord. And the majority, they just scoffed. And they turned their back. They went back to the sports page. They went back checking the Dow. They went back to see what was new in the world. Went back to their routine. And unbelief determinedly shrugs off this living proof of Christ. 
And so the very one who was told that a family will surely respond to this supernatural wonder of the, of the messengers from the grave, he became that miraculous messenger. And he's still being rejected. Enter through the narrow gate. Because the gate is wide that leads to destruction. And there are many who enter through it. And how narrow is the gate and difficult the way that leads to life. And there are few who find it. And our modern technology is is wonderful. It's fun. There's some fun stuff out there these days. A lot of cool stuff. Whether it's Google Maps or maybe you use Waze. Whatever you might use to, to, to navigate and to get from, from places to places. Digital navigation has real-time capabilities now. Real-time action. You can see what's going on ahead of time or ahead of where you're going in the moment. So maybe you see, you know, there's construction delay. Or, hey, speed trap up ahead. Or, hey, there's a wreck. And so traffic's backed up. You can see all of this. Maybe there's just a volume-induced slowdown. You can know ahead of time so you're able to make the best decision about which route to take. Hey, just know that there's danger up here, so make your choice wisely. You can either head for it or you can reroute around it. And so when I see the notification, when I see that pop up on my phone, I don't think, well, thanks for that bit of bad news. Now there's a traffic delay. Now there's a roadblock. Now there's a wreck. Well, thanks for, thanks for telling me that. That's not what I think. What I think is, well, thank you. Now I can go a different way. Now I can avoid it. Now I can go around it. Or maybe you were hoping to get stuck in traffic. Or maybe you were hoping to be involved in a wreck yourself. But I'm grateful for the information. So now I can make an informed choice. An informed choice. Suppose the Bible told us nothing about life. What if it was silent about life? What if it was silent about hell? What if the Bible told us nothing about hell? Would that make Scripture more loving? If God was silent about hell, would that make Him more compassionate? This God who talks about penalties of disobedience, if He just quiet about that, would that make Him more loving, more acceptable? This concealing unpleasant truth demonstrate that you care more about someone's well-being. This Jesus who speaks more about hell than any other person in Scripture is the same Lord who died and rose to save us from hell. Scripture's resolute. There is no escape out of hell. And so the Gospel of God's love and His mercy shows one way of escape before entering. Before getting there. It's interesting that Jesus would use an analogy of a gate here in Matthew chapter 7 because John records another conversation of Jesus where Jesus is explaining about you know, this, this, this kingdom of God and these disciples of how to find the kingdom of God because there's a lot of misinformation out there, unlike today, right? <laughs> and so Jesus is trying to explain to them, this is how you find the kingdom of God. See, their leaders had let them down. Their leaders had failed them in, in constructing these elaborate hoops and all of these lists and unnecessary accomplishments that they must achieve in order to find the kingdom of God. But this loving shepherd, the king of the kingdom, he comes in and he says in John chapter 10, in beginning in verse 7, he says, I tell you the solemn truth. I am the door for the sheep. And all who came before me were thieves and they were robbers. But the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters through me, he will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. 
The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I have come so that they may have life and may have it abundantly. So the gate is narrow because there's only one path to the Father. There's one path to eternal life. There's one choice for who is in charge of your life. And that may at many times make this life difficult. It makes it challenging. See, the kingdom of God is not a place where everyone who ever lived or ever will live is going to choose to reside. That's not their goal. For some, the constraints of, 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 of God's instruction seems like that two-lane highway. There's no passing room. There's restrictive speeds. I've got to sometimes you know, fall in line. There's stagnant scenery. They might even classify it as boring. Because, yeah, the openness of an expressway, the go-it-your-own-way, allows you a lot of choices, a lot of alternatives. But on that expressway, on that wide open space, you will find more death and more destruction than you will on the alternate. And although traveling the narrow road requires you at times to yield your pace, it allows you to enjoy the ride, knowing with great anticipation what awaits you at that destination. And such is living in the kingdom of God. What road are you on this morning? Well, most of us are on that narrow path. But a lot of us are cheering on others who don't know. A lot of us are cheering on others who aren't using the navigation tools. And we know where they're headed. They're headed right for that traffic jam. They're headed right for that wreck. They're headed right for that dead end. We think, oh well, they made that choice. Do they know there's a they know there's an alternate? Do they know they have another choice? Have you told them? Have I told them? I wonder how much joy there will be if I'm able to cross through that narrow gateway knowing who's not. Because I didn't say anything about it. Jesus leaves us with no question. We have some questions about life and choices and all, but there's no question that there are two paths that lead to separate destinations. One is the path to destruction. And that path is walked each day of this life as we make a choice. Am I going to follow Christ or not? Am I going to turn my back on Him or not? It doesn't mean we don't veer off and hit the rumble strip every once in a while. That's not headed for hell. Because God offers us repentance. And He offers us forgiveness and course correction. But when I set my vehicle, my path, my life in opposition to God's will, that's headed away from eternal life to eternal destruction. What path are you on this morning? Jesus calls you or this crazy world that we're living in to escape the insanity of thinking that you can do anything you want to do and create your own consequences because that's impossible. But we can live in that false reality. One day we'll be awakened to a true reality 
That's God's reality. He opens His book to us today. He shows us, look, follow My Son. Come to Me and have eternal life. So this morning, what choice will you make? What path are you on? What sign are you following? Who are you leading? And where are you leading them to? We're going to stand and sing a song of encouragement this morning. If we can help you in any way as we stand and sing, will you come? Lay your burden down, every care you carry.